Hello, and welcome to the Seek Learning Podcast. I'm Casey Paul Griffiths, a professor of church history and doctrine at Brigham Young University. There's a famous quote that education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire. We aren't quite sure who said that, though it's often misattributed to the poet William Butler Yeats. I still think that quote is good enough to go up on your classroom wall, so I say again, education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire. We have all seen students go through the motions, fill out their worksheets, hand in their papers, and then wander out of the classroom. I've been on both sides of that exchange as both a student and a teacher. Then there are those rare moments when everything clicks and both the student and the teacher are on fire. The Doctrine and Covenants describes this by saying that both are edified and rejoice together. I remember one occasion where one of my professors decided to take us out of the classroom for a field trip. The class was on Latter-day Saint Migration. He invited us to hike Big Mountain and go right to the place where Brigham Young saw the Salt Lake Valley and declared, this is the right place. We drove to a spot in the mountains on an early Saturday morning and then climbed up the hill. We even saw a moose along the way. When I came over the crest of the hill huffing and puffing and saw the valley, I felt like I knew the pioneers a little bit better and had a real desire to know more about their struggles. My teacher went outside the lines a little bit and generated a genuine sense of curiosity in me for his subject. Now, some students come to our classrooms with a natural sense of curiosity that makes them a delight to teach, while others need a little spark to light their fire. So how can we light the fire for them? That's the topic of today's episode of Seek Learning. In the lives of Latter-day Saints, education is central to their religion and its practice. For members of the church, education is not merely a good idea. It's a commandment. At the David O. McKay School of Education at Brigham Young University, scholars carry out different studies every year in the field of education. In this podcast, we speak with these scholars to find out what they discovered about education and what does it mean for Latter-day Saints. How can these findings be applied in home and gospel settings? Finally, what inspired them to become an educator and how has it affected their lives? Education is the difference between wishing you could help other people and being able to help them. This is the Seek Learning Podcast, presented by the BYU Latter-day Saint Educator Society. Our guest today, Dr. Sarah K. Clark, is a professor in the Department of Teacher Education. For more than 30 years, Dr. Clark has been involved in the field of education in a variety of roles, including classroom teacher, curriculum developer, author, editor, instructional coach, consultant researcher, and university professor. Dr. Clark earned a Ph.D. in curriculum and instruction with a specialization in teacher education and literacy instruction from Utah State University. She received a master's degree in education with a specialization in language, reading, and culture from the University of Arizona and a Bachelor of Arts degree in elementary education from the University of Arizona. Dr. Clark's research centers on identifying ways to improve and enhance the instruction that all children receive. Her research examines the intersection between the child, the classroom instruction, and the teacher. Her research is centered around the following goals, to explore and examine the ways to strengthen literacy, reading, writing, listening, and speaking instruction the students receive, 
and to explore and examine ways to support and mentor pre-service and in-service teachers within the teaching profession to encourage high teacher self-efficacy, reduce attrition, strengthen content and pedagogical knowledge, and support personal growth and development. Dr. Clark recently sat down with Joe Backman from the Seek Learning team and will now join their conversation. We are uh, really excited to jump right into your expertise, your research, your practice, what you've lived your life with, uh, and your focus seems to really be on literacy. And I love in this research how you focus on the integration or bringing in the, the content of science. And so let's jump in to our first question. Okay. Um, tell us just briefly about what your research was in this article. I work with a lot of teachers in the classroom who are responsible for teaching children how to read. And the way that it's currently structured in our schools is that there's typically a program that they're using or something that really focuses on how uh, to help children learn the patterns of the English language so that they can, you know, through phonics and phonological awareness, can learn to sound out words and decode what they're reading. And what I was noticing is that we're not giving children enough time to actually practice some of those skills and to make them applicable and to make it, um, dare I say, fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that is really what drove this research was thinking of what are some ways that children could explore the world that they live in while simultaneously practicing and developing and strengthening those skills that they're learning um, in the classroom as well. We focus sometimes so much on the foundational skills and the pieces of literacy that are so important. We need to have the phonics and phonemic awareness and mm -hmm. those foundational pieces. But if that's all we get and we don't ever play the game or read the book, uh, apply it, then I love you brought the word fun. Uh, they really should enjoy and be engaged deeply because literacy, reading, writing, speaking, listening are how we live and they bring life to us. Yes. And the, you mentioned the four areas of literacy, and we often think only of reading and writing, but really, and that was one of the key focuses with this research, is to incorporate speaking and listening, because they are all four tools of literacy. One of the ways that I try to explain it in the classroom when I'm teaching or working with teachers and then also at the university level is that reading and listening are inputs. Writing and speaking are outputs. So if the only thing that I'm giving children exposure to are inputs, then I'm really missing out on the opportunity for them to um, put out some things of their own, to try on some ideas, to try some of the reading, to express their thinking and connections that they're making as well. And so when I speak of literacy, I really do mean all four components. I love that. I love the input, the output idea. And really, if we're only doing input... Uh, it's really we're just filling this empty bucket. Yes. And these kids are not empty buckets. They they come with a uh, ready to light a fire. Right. And when we can help put in the things that they need and then let them run and do the output of the reading and writing and really enjoy that, uh, mm -hmm. the power comes there so much. Mm -hmm. Yes. So tell us, so you're a literacy professor. I am. But this is focused on science. Yeah, so I started getting curious about other ways to kind of loosen um, the way we look at literacy. And I learned about, as I was researching and reading other studies, there's a, 
a concept or a framework, I would say. It's a theoretical framework. Um, it's called disciplinary literacy. And what was really interesting about it is uh, it is predominantly thought of and used in um, middle school and high school. Within the last couple decades, we've had what we've focused on, which is content area literacy or content area reading. And what that meant is that we would look at reading and then we would combine it with science by reading a science textbook. Or we would look at history and we would read something like someone's talk from history. And that was how we thought of integration. It was the material that we were reading or writing was from one of the content areas. Well, these researchers were looking at it and they were saying, no, 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 we want them to learn the disciplines. How does a scientist read, write, think, speak, and listen? How does a historian or a mathematician? And so it was interesting. They've, they've looked at the disciplines differently. And so I thought, could we do this with younger grades? So I chose science because I had a colleague that I knew had some similar interests, but she didn't have any literacy background. And so between the two of us, we created this instruction, and she, you know, really helped drive, you know, the topics that we studied and what might be beneficial to the younger students when we use this disciplinary literacy lens. So typically in the elementary classroom, the way they would do content area instruction would be we're going to study clouds, so we're going to read a bunch of books about clouds. Then we're going to go on a walk, and we're going to look at clouds. And that's all fine and good. Then they would come back in the classroom and they would make clouds out of cotton balls. Or they would write poetry about clouds or a story about a cloud. And those are creative activities, but that's not what scientists do. And so that's where we really sat down and said, what would a scientist do? And then how can we translate for a younger child? So they're actually mimicking some of those same activities and instructional benefits that could be gained by engaging in those same practices. So that's how we put together the instruction, and the instruction really was trying to focus on reading, writing, listening, and speaking. So every day we were trying to incorporate one of those four tools, and then it was hands-on experiences combined with um, stories, uh, videos. In one of the units, they were studying how this, the life cycle of plants, so they were planting the seeds, and they were kept they kept a seed diary, what happened every day. So everything we were doing was trying to mimic what a scientist would do, but through the lens of a child, like how would they understand that and interpret that? So the end product was they were to write science informational text. And the question that we were trying to answer is, what is the life cycle of, of plants? And that's another key component that I want to bring up is questions are so important. I don't say to the students, we're going to study seeds or we're going to study plants. Instead, we're saying, how do seeds grow? You know, what is the cycle that a seed goes through? As soon as I'm asking questions, I'm engaging and inviting them to join me in this question that I'm trying to figure out as well. And that's what scientists do. They're asking questions. So thus, we leaned on the science for this. Um, Currently, I'm working on projects related to history and social studies as well. So I don't feel like it's specific to any of the disciplines. It's using the same tools, but then it can shift and change based on the discipline I'm emphasizing. 
I love what you've described there. You reminded me of a, a story that actually a mathematician has told, but it's so similar to this idea. Um, he's a professor at Mount Holyoke uh, in, in Massachusetts, Mike Flynn. Uh, but he talks about, went to Costa Rica with his kids. They had an incredible tour in the rainforest. And the first one just showed them all the different animals. And they loved it because they saw some incredible things like a sloth and a viper, da da da. But the second tour they went on was a night tour, and instead of just showing them, he taught them to be an, a scientist, an mm. explorer. And they got flashlights, and they found the animals, and he showed them, have you thought about looking at the ground more? Have you thought about looking higher in the trees? And he taught them how to be an explorer, a scientist, and they loved both experiences, but the second was magical to them. That's exactly what we were going for. And so, yes, exactly the idea that we're not just trying to learn content or material or information, but we're learning tools and processes and ways of thinking. Even the teachers need to take on that role of scientists. And if, I, if a student asks a question, how can we figure out the answer to that? And that's why um, I just felt like it was a stepping away from the formal reading instruction they were doing in the morning. This was simply focused on let's have some fun with that in the afternoon. But at the same time, not losing sight of how I can help push them into deeper ways of thinking, deeper ways of understanding and knowing. So I talk about fun, but I also, it's like I'm grounded in how am I going to provide evidence that they're also learning and growing and developing their knowledge and skill um, in science as well. Well, as you say that, that you have evidence, uh, statistical evidence in this research that second graders can engage as scientists in complex content, science content, and learn to read and write and speak and listen more effectively. I think s sometimes teachers are afraid to step away from the program mm -hmm. or from the training that they received or the science of reading and those types of things that they don't engage in something that's a little more fun, more student-centered, more holistic, I would say, that's really focused on the student's engagement. And they miss out on a great opportunity where not only are their kids going to have more engagement, curiosity, learning, but they're also going to learn those foundational skills even better because mm -hmm. they've been applied. Yeah, let me talk about the findings from the research study that kind of exemplify what you're talking about. So when we started, we asked them the question. I'm just going to give the example of um, the sequence lessons that we did. So our very first question in the unit was, what is the life cycle of a plant? And on the very first day, we just asked them, write what you know. We didn't share anything with them before and just said, write what you know about the life cycle of plants. And we knew that there might even be some terms like cycle and or life cycle that they wouldn't understand, but that was okay. We just wanted to know where were they at that day. And then after the instruction, we asked them the same exact question again. Didn't give them any more instruction on how to write it, and we were blown away with their growth. And so it was exciting for the teachers because not only were they being exposed to this new way of teaching, 
but we were also taking their writing standards and demonstrating incredible growth in their student writing. And so just trying to help them to understand that, yeah, when we look at the writing standards, they need to write informational text. But knowing the specifics of how to craft writing within that discipline becomes important as well. Um, we asked one of the girls, and she was writing, and she said, I am thinking, I am thinking, I am thinking. She couldn't think of anything to write about the life cycle of plants. And then if I were to show you her post-instruction writing sample, it's a page and a half, and it was filled with description about the life cycle of plants. Um, but the most exciting for us was their growth and their amount of writing just was, it blew us away as we looked through the different samples. Dr. Clark has shared some great experiences and theory behind her ideas. But in the second part of our discussion with her, we asked for some practical approaches towards her research. What ways could a classroom teacher or a parent really provide their students with a chance to exercise and develop their sense of curiosity. Let's rejoin our conversation with Joe Backman. I love how practical all of this is that you're sharing of ways that you can incorporate that in a classroom and at home mm -hmm. um, to be able to help uh, students really engage and learn. What suggestions would you give a classroom teacher? Let's start there. Of, of ways that they really could enhance and bring alive and bring joy and fun more to the reading writing process in their classrooms. Okay, so when it comes to a classroom teacher, the first thing I would say is to try to include more science and social studies and writing. Those are three areas that we notice the teachers in our interviews um, really struggle to find time to fit them in. and. I feel like what I would say to the classroom teacher is you can't afford not to, to include those because that is where you're going to see a lot of growth with these students. Um, and so just thinking differently about your instruction. One of the teachers, um, when we were interviewing, we waited a month after it was done and we asked her, um, so what did you do after we left? You know, what were some of the things? And she said, oh, we did a unit on rocks. And then she said, and then after that, I moved on to a unit on writing. And then she looked at me and she said, I should have done those together. And I thought, yeah, we're so, we're so um, patterned to think about organizing our school day in a certain way. And to be able to step away from that, even though we had helped her and given her all the support and all these resources, um, I think we're so married to certain ways of thinking about what instruction should look like in the classroom. And so th that's one of the things um, that I would say. Another is they could not help but notice the excitement from the children. So, for example, when we started growing the seeds, they would run in from recess because they wanted to see if the seed had grown because there were some days where it was significant growth. And so in their head, they, they didn't want to miss a thing. Um, I can think of another student who the teacher would always kind of whisper to me in the back and say, oh, he really struggles with reading. I don't know which group to put him in. And I said, I don't think it will matter. Put him in any group. Put him in any of the groups. He'll be just fine. And they were reading, and then we gave him sticky notes and said, anything that you think is important on that page, jot it down and get that sticky note saved so we'll have those notes. And this little guy had... 30 sticky notes all along the table. Now, was he really absorbing and taking in the information? 
probably orally. It wasn't coming out in his writing, but there was something that was happening with him that he couldn't wait to be involved and participate. And she was blown away. She said, wow, he normally is is resistant to wanting to participate. And so I would say to the classroom teacher that their curiosity is magic. And so the more we can work on instilling that, the more they're going to engage. Try to find ways to bring more questioning, to bring more wonder and more unknown into your classroom and and to get comfortable with that um, because that was something we saw them struggle with quite a bit. I can just picture in my mind those kids running inside to see. Uh, I remember that as a second grade teacher myself. uh, We had fish, we had butterflies, we had uh, uh, praying mantis uh, and you'd see them hatch and things and over a long weekend or a holiday they would all come running in to see what happened and it's just magical, and you you use the words wonder and curiosity and how powerful that is. You've brought up questions and curiosity, wonder multiple times, and it, it keeps reminding me of how it seems, especially in recent years, uh, our church and church leaders have often talked about the importance of questions, especially with the youth. Ask questions, not out of doubt, but with faith. And you think of Joseph Smith, he asked, the restoration started because he was curious and he sincerely wanted to know the answer to something. He asked questions throughout his life. I just think he's a perfect example of curiosity, wonder, and awe. I love the example of Joseph Smith. When I sit back and I think about it, God is an amazing scientist and he wants to share the wonder of this world with us. He does it daily with a sunrise, sunset, you know, thunder. When I think about disciplinary literacy, I can't help but notice that discipline is discipleship. Mm-hmm. It means I'm learning about something intentionally, and it is going to require some questions because that's how we start to grow is by opening it up, not feeling like it's closed and, and finite. Um, so anyway, when I think about disciplinary literacy, that just like, clicked in my brain like oh you know especially coming and working at BYU I'm thinking so much more about um, my research through a gospel lens and just thinking about how would a disciple understand this content or these concepts and ideas that I know God is already an expert he's an expert historian he's an amazing storyteller he is a renowned artist. You can see it again, like I said, daily. So when we think about it that way, I am a disciple of learning all that God wants me to learn. I love it. What a beautiful testimony that you just shared with us. Um, I, I felt the Holy Ghost as you spoke through that. It's not just the acquisition of knowledge. It is them becoming. Yes. I, uh, President Oaks, his challenge to become talk is one of my favorites that uh, often the institutions of the world teach us to know something where the gospel of Jesus Christ challenges us to become something. And that's what I'm hearing you say is, yes, we need our students to know how to read and write and listen and speak. They need to know science content. They need to know math and art and all of the disciplines that we learn. But it's not for the content's sake. That's not the end. It's the rich means to help us become more like God and like Jesus Christ. I've been thinking about um, how often 
we're admonished and encouraged in the scriptures to read, to write, to speak, and to listen. I mean, those four tools, it's not just content knowledge. That's how I tell my students all the time, teaching someone to read is how they get to know their God. Being able to read the scriptures and understand this amazing being, this deity, to me, that's where the power comes. Think about when the Savior came again. One of the first things he said is, you haven't written this down. And so, you know, when I think about if I'm a parent or I'm a classroom teacher and I have knowledge of the gospel that's driving all that I'm doing, you know, in the Doctrine and Covenants I was reading the other day and Joseph and Oliver Cowdery or Joseph and Signe Rigdon were given a prophecy or a revelation and they were, they were immediately instructed, write it down. And there's something in those tools. It's not just, can I write well to perform on a test? It, there's something that happens when I write. There's something that happens when I speak. And man, we know there's something valuable that happens when I listen. And you know, I'm, I'm specifically thinking about listening to the Holy Ghost, but it can be listening to another's point of view or listening to another's pain or sorrow. So when I think about it as a classroom teacher, it's beyond the science. I love that. What a way to read the scriptures, uh, seeing those literacy tools there. And uh, many examples came to my mind as you were talking through that. Uh, What a beautiful example. Thanks. I think, as we know, in public education, there is a separation of church and state. I'm grateful for that. But at the same time, a teacher has that's a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints can utilize all of the gospel, the Holy Ghost, prayer, seeing these children, youth as children of God, knowing you're helping them to become their eternal destiny and their identity there, um, can impact everything that a classroom teacher does. The beauty of a parent is there is no separation of church and state, that they can explicitly teach their children to read, to write, to listen, speak, and all the other things we've talked about, and incorporate the gospel of Jesus Christ and help their children to see this is one and the same. We're not separate beings when we go to school and then to church and at home, but that we are always becoming, and these principles are applicable in all areas. Um, any insights or thoughts that come to your mind of advice or thoughts for a parent? Yeah. So I do not fly anywhere <laughs> where I am not asked what I do. And I share that I, you know, I'm a literacy professor. I'm always a little hesitant because then I'm immediately always given a story about how this parent or this grandparent has someone in their family that doesn't know how to read. And so when I think about myself as a daughter of God and I think about my role as a parent, I think we often look at literacy as something that they do in school. And we can see the pain of when a child is not developing and learning in a way that's quote-unquote expected. And so what I wish I could do is talk to them from birth, their child's birth or their grandchild's birth, and it's instilling the desire you have to read and to engage with them, not the skills, not to read a certain amount, but to read with wonder, 
to show or talk with them about books that you're reading, even though they're not at the level of the child, get them to see you read. I see a lot of parents, we, and I was guilty of this at times as well when I think back on raising my kids, you need to go read for 10 minutes. It was, it was more of this punishment um, or expectation or really high standard that they needed to meet every day instead of really focusing on what is it that I'm going to gather and learn from this experience. Taking more walks. Research shows us over and over again, parents who talk with their children, um, take them outside, take them to the park, read stories with them, make it an enjoyable time together, are the ones that have students that show up most prepared when they come to school. So thinking about my role as a parent, not as the teacher or a teacher's aide, but as a partner with that with that child, I should say, um, in growing and learning and having fun doing it and maybe stepping back away from that rigid, here's what needs to happen tonight in order for you to check a box um, for homework. So I'm not saying not attend to those things that a, a, a teacher might be asking you to do, but really bringing your full self to that experience and saying, what am I going to do outside of what that teacher is asking me to do? So as a parent, I just know that my best experiences with my children were when I was right at their level enjoying it with them, not up at a higher level kind of pushing them or pulling them up to where I was or where the teacher wanted them to be. I'm grateful you share that example. Um, you remind me of another quote, President Uchtdorf um, once said that the why of the gospel transforms the mundane into the majestic. Mm. And those moments you talked about and the memories that I have with my own children and students uh, are majestic moments. How do we create those more often? Yeah, if I could lean on Elder Uchtdorf again, um, you know, he gave talk, a talk um, years ago on being a creator. And so when I think about parenting, we are creating a feeling. We're creating an environment. We're creating a home. Um, and then just recently, and this goes to what you were talking about with the majestic um, nature of things, in the most recent conference, he really um, helped me understand things a little bit better when he talked about we're asked to sacrifice things. That's to give up or to give away. And, yeah, we work on our feeling when we do that and how we go about doing it. But what he said about consecration totally changed things for me. And so, you know, as a parent, when I think about working with my child and helping them grow and develop and learn the skills that they need to learn, that is consecration. Like, how can I make this a sacred and enjoyable experience when I'm working with my child or modeling for my child or being an example? And so when we think about, you know, parenting, to me, that's consecration. I'm going to consecrate my parenting or my role as a teacher in the classroom. I'm going to consecrate this to God today, make it sacred, make it holy. And in doing so, it, it becomes majestic or magic. It reminds me we can't do it alone. Uh, we right. do depend on our Savior, Jesus Christ, to not only heal us, to forgive us, but to also enable us and give us the strength and power to be able to do that, um, because I sure can't do it by myself. But when I give my best effort and rely on his strength, then it happens, and the Holy Ghost is involved. For the last part of our conversation with Sarah Clark, we wanted to ask her to share a little bit about her faith 
and how she uses the Holy Ghost to help her students learn more and how the Gospels made her a better educator. Let's join her and Joe Backman one more time. It's clear that the Gospel of Jesus Christ has impacted your life and your family. How has it impacted you as an educator? Um, In so many ways. I started out at Utah State, and that's actually where I got my Ph.D., and I loved my time there. Um, And then my husband's job changed, and so we moved further south, and that's when I felt prompted to look at a position at BYU. I cannot begin to tell you how my worlds collided in the very best of ways before I had kept it pretty separate. Um, I do feel like I brought the spirit when I was teaching um, at Utah State, but since I've been at BYU as an educator, I look in the eyes of my students and we talk about the Holy Ghost and we talk about the Savior. It's a very normal part of talking about teaching literacy um, and bringing in what I know about the Godhead and what we know about um, church doctrine, church history. I mean, there are so many different connections that I've been able to make. Um, But most importantly is just, you know, walking in the room and looking at my students and feeling the Spirit in ways that I, I did not feel before and telling them, you know, I know God knows who you are. I know he loves you. Um, making them a very important part of my prayers on a daily basis, um, reaching out to them when I know they're struggling. It's just so powerful to be able to to bring both of those into the classroom. I'm a firm believer that the classroom is a place of healing. Myself as a teacher, I can heal, and I can also help my students heal. Um, life throws so many things at us, and and I have learned that as we bring the Savior into our classroom and into our studies, um, they are even better than I could imagine. They they head in directions that I never planned in my lesson plan. Um, and that is what has been exciting, is to become an educator that is using the Spirit 100% of the time is such a gift. And you mentioned the separation of church and state. Um, a lot of my students will head out into a classroom that You know, they really should not be talking about any of these things. Um, But I tell them every time, when you walk in the classroom, you bring the Savior. And there's no doubt people are going to feel it and know it. They won't be able to identify it necessarily all the time, but they will feel it. And you will show up differently um, by bringing him with you. So do everything you can to make sure that he's in the car when you're driving and, and when you walk through those doors and I've tried to live that way myself, like he better be there in the classroom with me so that when I'm using the tools, they're magnified and they're better than what I could do. Um, I'm limited without him. As you spoke, I felt the spirit a lot and uh, two thoughts that came. What a beautiful mission that this university has. Enter to learn, go forth to serve. And really the the deep learning that that is, learning by the Spirit and by study and faith and learning all that we need to be prepared to go and serve. And then your last statements of bringing the Savior with us uh, reminded me of 3 Nephi uh, 17, as the Savior gathers the children around him. And then the angels came around and there was fire and uh they couldn't even articulate in re, or in words the incredible experience that that was. 
and to just recognize that as disciples of Jesus Christ, we do have the Holy Ghost with us. And we have the promise of our Savior that he will be on our right side and our left and that his angels will be round about us. And if we come with that, that means they're around these kids and these youth that we teach as well. And I, I think when we get to the other side of the veil, we'll be astounded at how much help comes from the other side of the veil that we just can't see with our eyes. So thank you for, for the, your beautiful example. You are a disciple of Christ, it's clear. As a, as a professor, as a mother, as a disciple. And I've been inspired today uh, by the things that you've shared. Anything else you would like to share in closing? It's so exciting to talk about research and the gospel at the same time. When people read my research, I don't think they can see the gospel part in there, but there's nothing that doesn't tap into that. And I think in closing, I would just say that I bear testimony that this work that we do is powerful and meaningful, but it's incredibly limited without our Heavenly Father and, and Jesus Christ. And I guess I would just say I'm just so grateful for them. They make every day matter. Um, and so the more we can take that power and that influence at BYU and send it out, um, it makes me feel very peaceful and very happy with the direction that we're headed. So anyway, I'm just grateful for the opportunity to share the work that I've worked on, but also just to also share the light. I felt the Spirit talking with you too, so thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. We really appreciate you, and uh, keep up the great work with all that you do. Thank you. Our sincere thanks to Sarah Clark and Joe Backman for their time today. The Seek Learning Podcast is produced by the BYU Latter-day Saint Educator Society in cooperation with the McKay School of Education. I'm Casey Paul Griffiths, and I serve along with Michael Leonard as the executive producers of the podcast. We also receive assistance from Joe Backman, David Boren, Betsy Ecton, and Heather Safarovich. Editing and production for this episode was carried out by our wonderful students at the McKay School with our theme and music composed by Alistair Scheuermann. Thanks for listening. We appreciate all your support. And if you like what you heard, tell your friends about the podcast or write us a review wherever you receive your podcasts or give the Society a like or comment on Facebook or Instagram. The Latter-day Saint Educator Society also holds an annual conference every June to provide inspiration information for those of you out there teaching in the field. We hope you'll join us this June. You can find more information on our webpage. Just Google Seek Learning Podcast. Until next time, My name's Casey Paul Griffiths, and this has been Seek Learning.